0: pray for a moment. Lord, thank you this morning as we come to the scriptures, we offer our hearts and minds. Pray you'd keep all distractions far away. Holy Spirit, would you come and open these words to us? Take my words and use them and fill them that we might see Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Let me start with a question this morning. How many of you would agree that confidence in the media is at an all-time low Most hands go up. It's hard to trust everything that you hear or see or read these days. Some people are referring to this as the, the era of post-truth reporting. Post-truth. Reporting. In other words, it doesn't matter so much about what you report or what you report. Well, is it true or not? That's not quite as important. But does what you report trend? Does it trend? Is it popular? Is it shared? Does it get passed along? Does it grab market share? Right? Is it popular? Does it generate revenue? That's replaced the question is it true? And that, of course, is affecting the way that we hear and the way that we see and the way that we believe, the way that we engage information, the way that we look at the world. And that has given rise to the notion of what? Fake news. Everybody knows fake news, right? That's not a term we would have heard too long ago. Some of you have only known that term in your lifetimes. We all regularly see images that we know are not true. I got a picture from somebody recently through social media of a guy sitting on a couch with his 450-pound poodle. It was a cool picture. <laughs> it had been shared millions of times. It was not real. Just not real. And of course, who hasn't occasionally fallen for clickbait, right? A catchy. Heading That causes you to jump to a link. that causes you to recognize, "Oh man, this had nothing to do with what was announced. So I want to start this morning with a pop quiz. Who's ready? Those of you students who are going back will just get you ready for what's coming. Pop quiz this morning. Let's see if you can figure out which of the following headlines are fake and which are real. OK? Which are fake and which are real. Flood of caramel unleashed by a Brazilian sugar fire. Fake or real? It's actually real. There was a giant fire that occurred in the port of Santos that damaged 180,000 tons of sugar so that there was this molten stream of caramel running down through the docks. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. All you need is vanilla ice cream, Right. And you'd be in business. How about this one? Colorado pot shop accepting food stamps. Real or fake? No, it's actually not real. (laughs) Not real, but if you go to the Colorado pot shop, you might want some food on the back end of that. I think the way that works. Fake news, fake news, fake news. All right, here's one. How about this? Celebrate pancakes with a maple syrup bath at famous Japanese Hot Springs Resort. Fake or true? That's yeah, true. Man, you've got to like pancakes to take a bath in maple syrup, right? You can actually do that. How about this one? A woman was kicked out of puppy yoga for having bad vibes. Fake or true? That is absolutely true. <laughs> Apparently, they liked her dog, but they weren't so keen on her, and she was banned from all future puppy yoga events. That was in Toronto, Canada. That our Canadian friends do things a little differently, I guess. How about this? Elderly woman trains sixty-five cats to steal from her neighbors. <laughs> of course, that's false. You can't train a cat to do anything. <laughs> Come on, man. That's dogs. If it had said dogs, maybe right. How about this one? Rapper Nipsey Hussle's death tied to a documentary he was making about. Late healer, Dr. Sebi. Some of you don't even know who I'm talking about. Look at the the young people out there. No, Nipsey Hussle. That's fake news, actually. Some of you don't even know that's news. That's fake news. It was a conspiracy that went around, but it was totally baseless. How about this one? Crocodile breaks loose on Qantas flight. That's that's actually true. It scared the heck out of the baggage handler. When he opened up the cargo doors, it had gotten out of its cage, and boy, was he in for the scare of his life. How about this one? Fake or real? The story of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection is true. Well, whether it's fake or real is a big question today, isn't it? And some of you have settled that question. Others of you, maybe you're not so sure. Is it fake news? Is it real news? And of course, some of the people who actually believe it aren't necessarily sure why they believe it. In other words, if one of those news crews came to you on the street, right, and suddenly you had this microphone stuck in your face and the camera was rolling and, of course, your friends all jumped back because they didn't want to be in the picture and they said, Do you believe that the news about Jesus Christ is fake or real, and why? How would you answer? Some of you would have a quick answer, some of you maybe not so sure. That's what the Gospel of Luke wants to help us to discern whether it's fake news or real news, this news about Jesus Christ. And it's why we're going to spend this year yes, the year 2020, looking deeply at the gospel of Luke to see what is this and who is this and what does this mean for our lives if everything about Jesus is actually true? What implications does it have for our futures and how we live in the present? And so we'll dive into Luke and we're gonna hope to see Jesus clearly in this year ahead. Let me give you a little background on Luke. For those of you who aren't so sure about who he was, his gospel was written about 30 or 40 years after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So around uh, AD 60 or 70. Luke was not one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. Luke was not an apostle, but he spent a whole lot of time with the apostle Paul traveling around the Mediterranean world in those early years of the church. And in fact, the Apostle Paul refers to Luke at least four times in his writings. What we know about him, particularly from Paul, is that that Luke was a Gentile. In other words, he was non-Jewish. He wasn't part of the people of God who had had these promises made to them. And he was a doctor. And that's significant. Luke was a doctor. And so one other thing, he wrote a large portion of the New Testament because he didn't just write the Gospel of Luke, he also wrote part two, the book of Acts. And so a whole lot of the writings in the New Testament, first about the life of Jesus and later about the Holy Spirit and the church as it began to grow, come from Luke, who we're going to be walking with this year. Now, we had the prologue in your hand out there that's what i read if you want to take that out in your scripture sheet we'll look at these verses here in just a minute because there's three things that luke points out to us as we start this year out as we start our launch into the book of luke there's three things he particularly tells us he tells us why he wrote this gospel now let me remind you gospel is a word that means good news so he's writing news And it's called Good News. So he's going to tell us why he wrote this gospel, how he wrote this gospel, and what he wrote in this gospel. And we'll start with them in reverse order. Let's start with what he wrote. We'll go to verse 1. Let's look at Luke 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Let me read it in the New Living Translation many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. As Luke starts, as he begins to tell us what he wrote, he he intended uh, to write two things particularly. He wrote a narrative. Everybody say narrative, right? That's history. It's a record. He's writing down the news of what happened and his case or what he makes the case of is that it's real news, not fake news. He's writing a narrative of what it happened. That's the first thing and how it's a fulfillment of promises that God had previously made to his people in the Old Testament. In other words, God, the living God, had spoken over a long period of time throughout the history of the Jewish people And had made promises that he was going to do something radical in sending a Savior. And Luke is saying, This is the fulfillment in Jesus of all that was promised to the people of Israel. And we'll see as we go through that he's going to refer back to the Old Testament quite a number of times. And so it's a fulfillment. It's not a record, catch this, it's not a record of what we have accomplished or what we have done, it's a record of what God has accomplished. And and we get very mixed up in our culture, even in the church. There are so many churches that only focus on how somehow God wants to give us a happy life, or do this or that. If you believe, it's all going to be golden, that sort of thing. If you believe, you get all your dreams, a very human-centered focus. But Luke He's going to focus on people, and we'll see that all through, and I'll point to that in a few moments. He begins with God, what God has done, what God has accomplished. This is news about God and his activity in the world. Remember, and and if you've been here a while, you've heard me say this, God always comes first. In other words, any movement that you have toward God is not because your own brain's it's because God has already been moving toward you. It's a doctrine called prevenient grace. Grace comes first. God's unmerited favor toward you, toward me, toward people comes before. We ever get the idea that, hey, maybe I should find out or pay attention. God moves and acts, and we respond. And here's the thing that I've discovered is that when God acts, that changes things. It changes things in the world. And my experience is it has changed things in my own life so that when God acts, when God moves, when his grace comes to me and it begins to change things either around me or in me, and more often than not, it's in me, suddenly I discover new meaning, I discover new purpose, and I discover that life's not all about me. And and that's hard to be told sometimes because I like it when life's all about me. You know, you don't have to admit that either, but I know the answer to that, all right. We tend to like it when life's about us, but, but when God moves, there's this challenge to stop living life just for ourselves. And that's some of what we'll see as Luke is writing in this gospel. All right, so that's what, how did he write his gospel? Look at verses two and three with me. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. How did he write? Carefully, carefully, an orderly account. Now remember, Luke's a doctor. An orderly account in the Greek is a word from which we derive our English word autopsy, right? In an autopsy, you're trying to figure out what happened. It's something that is occurring after the fact to discover what happened, what the facts were in the instance. And so he's writing in this kind of way, details, details, details about what Jesus said about what Jesus did, about who he interacted with and how it affected them. And so we're going to see that all through the gospel of Luke. And notice there in the text, he went to the eyewitnesses and the ministers of the word, those who were bringing this out. He talked to the apostles. He talked to the ones who were still alive at that point. Remember, that persecution began to break out against the church. People hated the idea that there was only one God because the Roman world, there were lots of gods and lots of ways, and there really wasn't heaven. We just kind of lived big here on earth. And so this declaration that there is a lore caused persecution, and the apostles were getting killed one by one by one, but Luke met with some of them along the way. He talked to those who witnessed the resurrection. In the book of Corinthians, we're told that Jesus appeared to over 500 people. This is only 30 or 40 years after all these events took place. Some of these people were still alive. And Luke went and he talked to them. He talked to the women who saw it happen. You can bet he talked to Mary. You know why? Because in Luke, from his gospel, we get more about the events preceding the birth of Jesus and the birth of Jesus than we get in any of the other gospels. Well, why is that? Is that because the gospels are are untrustworthy? No, they're they're looking from different angles at the person of Jesus, and they have some different uh, perspectives that they're telling. Just like if any of us saw an event occur, a football game, a car accident, we would all notice some of the different details. Would it still be true? Yeah. I would have seen it from over here. You would have noticed that and somebody else would have seen this. And so uh, he's writing a lot about women. Everybody say women. <laughs> he got a lot of his backstory from that. He got a lot from Mary. I think you can know there's one verse in particular that has always caused me to go, he must have talked to her. It's after Jesus' birth where it says, Mary pondered all these things in her heart. Good Lord, who would have told him that except Mary herself? That sounds like her own thinking about what was going on, that Mary engaged these things. But he probably also spoke to Mary Magdalene. He may have spoken to Joanna, the women who were there at the resurrection. And that's really important to, to understand because in the Roman world, women could not testify in court. Their testimony was deemed as not trustworthy. So why in the world would Luke go talk to so many women? Because they were there. And he wasn't worried about what the Roman courts thought. He wanted to talk to the eyewitnesses themselves. And of course, Jesus, Jesus elevated women like no one else ever has. If you ever hear the churches down on women, I don't know, some churches might be. I can't speak for everybody else. This one isn't because Jesus isn't. Women are the first witnesses of the resurrection. They are the apostles to the apostles. They're the ones who testify about Jesus. And Luke left it in there and had all these stories about the engagement Jesus had with women because that's what happened. People would have read it and gone, this is trash. This isn't true. Nobody would talk to women. Jesus did. I hope that's good news to a couple of women out there. And I hope it's good news to some of you guys, and maybe we'll deconstruct some worldviews about women's importance in the church. He wrote his gospel to a lot of social outcasts as well. like The people on the margins. He didn't just write to the religious elite. He wrote a lot about the poor. He wrote a lot about people who were broken. And that's good news, of course, if you're broken, if you come in here, I had a guy say to me after 8 o'clock, and I hadn't seen him in years and years and years, and there he was. He said, well, the roof didn't crash in today. And I said, you know what? A priest said the same thing to me the first time I stepped into his church. My experience is the roof has never crashed on me yet. So if you're here for the first time in a long time or maybe the first time ever, man, you're in the right place. Thank you for being here. The roof's not coming in. Settle in, relax. We're glad you're with us. He didn't just write to the Jewish people. He wrote to outsiders. He wrote to the people who were on the margins. And you can see that in the name Theophilus, to whom he wrote. I write this to you, most excellent Theophilus. It's a Greek name that means friend of God, or it can be translated lover of God. So he was writing to a person named Theophilus, who's probably his wealthy benefactor who paid for him to go around to find out all this information as he's going about producing the gospel. But the intended audience wasn't just for Theophilus. It was for a wider group. That's the way letters and and information was written in those days. It was always intended for anyone, catch this, anyone who wants to be a friend of God. And what I've discovered in my life, and I've seen in countless other lives, is that if you're serious about being a friend of God, over time, you'll find yourself being a lover of God. Because he has this way of of captivating and showing how incredibly beautiful and kind and good and compassionate he is. Friends of God become lovers of God. And that may be the journey you're on. I hope you're on that journey. Maybe 2020 is the year that it grows. Last thing, why did Luke write his gospel? Why did he do the research and the travel and the investigative reporting? Look at verse 4. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That's his purpose statement for writing this gospel. That you may have certainty that you might know the truth about the events surrounding Jesus. And that word certainly can also mean security, that you might be safe and secure in the truth with regard to Jesus, with regard to who Jesus is. I've used this illustration before at various times, but it, it pops up. Um, I am not a good repeller. You know what repelling is? Repelling, you're up on a big high wall and... For some crazy reason you listen to somebody who says, hey, this will be fun. Let's strap in to a rope and a harness and go down backwards. That's that's repelling. Anybody done that? A few of you, some of you are going, no, and I never will. Okay. Some of you love it and you're like, what's wrong with you? Right? You probably like jumping out of planes too. God bless you. So the last time I rappelled, my experience was no different than the times before. Now, admittedly, I always seem to end up like on these huge outdoor mountains rappelling. Um, I don't have the sense to do an indoor place that's like 20 feet off the ground, right? So I'm up there and I'm strapped into this rope that's hooked into a rock side of a mountain. And all I've got is that person who does this for fun all the time and as a job telling me this is safe. Just look at my eyes, don't look down, and you always look down, right? And all you have to do, Chris, is let go of the rope. I don't want to let go of the rope? <laughs> but it's not just let go of the rope, let go of the rope and sit down into the harness. And what I've discovered every time I've done it is that it's really hard to believe just. What the person says, although I take their word for it, I don't really know for sure that it's going to hold until I sit down into the harness. And I actually discover about halfway down the wall I'm having a good time. About halfway. Because the ground's getting closer. (laughs) But my point is this Luke's writing that we might sit down into the harness of Jesus Christ and find out for ourselves that he's safe. He's secure, that he holds, that he's real, that it's not fake news, and that he's alive. That we might have certainty. That's not a word you hear a lot these days in our post-truth reporting age, in our post-modern world, where it's not true unless I decide it's true. Luke's saying, wait a minute, I want you to know that you can sit into the harness of Jesus. I want you to know with certainty, security, and safety that he is who he says he is and that this is not just fake news. You know, a lot of people own Bibles. I know this because I've done some research on Bible reading and the Bible consistently sells more than any other book out there. Like for the course of history since it has existed in publishing. so back to the, what, 1400, 1500s. And the Bible not just in one specific translation, or, uh, uh, but in all of them, sells out all over the world, across cultures. Here's the thing though. Even though the Bible sells a lot, and most Americans have like 3.2 of them, if you do the statistics, a lot of people don't actually read the Bible. Don't actually read the Bible. And so I would encourage you this year, 2020, if you're making a resolution or you know, all the things that we we're supposed to do eat better, smoke less, save more, there's a top 10 list and we're all on it probably. Why not add, explore deeply what the scripture has to say about Jesus for yourself? Not just what a professor told you, maybe not even what a Sunday school teacher told you a long time ago, but for yourself to discover. Is he who he says he is? Is he what the scripture says? Read, 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 read. Journey with us if you're visiting as we go through the gospel of Luke. If you're visiting from afar, you can listen online through our podcasts. Those are always available Monday or Tuesday. Get in a life group. Our life groups go deep in the Bible together so that you have others that you can bang the crazy ideas in your head off of. Or when the scripture goes kind of like this against your cultural presuppositions, other people can say, I know, can you believe it? What do we do with that? And so that you have people around you. And and if you're a Christian or call yourself a Christian, but your life doesn't look any different than everybody else around you, then why not let 2020 be a year that you go hard after Jesus to see if he really is who he says he is. And if so, whether or not that might make a difference in your life. I don't mean get uptight, rigid, and morally hard to be around. Actually, the people who walk more closely with Jesus, I've discovered, get more beautiful, get more fun to be around, get a little more relaxed when you find out. So why not add this to your resolution list? Here's what I believe. Jesus is not fake news. That's what I believe. He's true news and he's good news. He's not myth or fantasy. He's not uh, made up. People just like you and me saw him, talked with him, walked with him, experienced what he's like, and wrote down so that we also might have the knowledge of him. But here's the thing this is so important and why the Bible is like no other book is because Jesus, and the claims we'll see later as we get into this, didn't stay dead after they killed him on the cross. But that the testimony of scripture is that God raised him up, different but alive, and that he now comes to meet with people who are interested in being friends of God who are interested in becoming God's lovers, who recognize the need, who know, I don't have it all together, but, but but I need you. And he still meets with us today. He meets with us as we read that book, as we meet in the context of community, as we talk to him, as we engage. Why not go a little deeper in the year ahead? It might just be the most radical, fun, exciting spectacular journey you've ever gone on true news real life stuff and so good let's pray oh lord in the places where our hearts are banging in our chests could it be true would you make known to us as we move in response to your grace Lord, would you help us to be like those Bereans we heard about in Acts? They received the word with all eagerness. They examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them believed. Would you grant that in my life and in our lives and in the lives of your church that Jesus might be seen clearly in 2020? We pray in his name. Amen.